Welcome to Healing Lives with Corey Gilbert, a podcast sponsored by the Healing Lives Center. Discover how to love and lead your family well and biblically. God created sex, marriage, and the family for our stewardship, growth, and benefit. My heart and passion is to teach, train, educate, and disciple Christians that want strong marriages and families. The Healing Life Center has been serving Christians since the year 2000. Its mission is to be a center for sex, trauma, and marriage education and transformation, where we offer counseling, coaching, courses, and speaking services to you, your church, or ministry. Check us out at HealingLives.com. So I think one of the things that we've got to do as parents, we are in charge of their sex ed. Not the school, not the church. Right now, if you are in public school, God help what you're learning from the sex ed that they call sex ed. Salem Kaiser, if you go to the website, you can see the sex ed curriculum. It's horrifying. Um, it's LGBTQ everything. It's not okay. Because actually what it's doing is it's confusing young girls and boys. And it's the, the road. Rapid onset gender dysphoria that's just on the extreme increase. Why? Because every kid's struggling with something. Who am I? Why did you make me so different? Why am I not like him? Why am I not like her? There's all these stirrings of questions. That's actually normal. So we need to learn a basic human sexuality. It's a class I've been teaching at Corbin and where I was at before for the last 19 years. Basic human sexuality. What is my class? Theology of masturbation. Theology of sex and marriage. Theology of contraception. Theology of everything else you can think of, from addiction to what does the Bible say? What does the research say? We go into all the research too, but that's my authority, Scripture. And so some of my favorite things to do is to kind of go, hey, there isn't an answer in Scripture on this. You know, a couple comes in, this may be too graphic, but you're all adults, but a couple comes in and husband is asking for anal sex. Sorry, that's becoming more and more normal. And I don't know if we need to have like a tattoo that says exit only or what, but it's like, no, no self-respecting doctor would be okay with that because of the way the biology is made. The lining of the uterus, or the uterus, lining of the anus is not made that way to handle that kind of friction. No, no, no. Yet, my human sexuality textbooks say, hey, heterosexual couples, if you haven't tried this, Gotta try because it it'll change your life. Because it gotta normalize to men. That's the that's what's happening. But it's not just the last five or ten years. This has been going on for forty. This is not new. We just often, for some of us not paying attention culturally. Um, and for the last few years it's been a huge ramp. We need to become a confident parent and how? It's through knowledge. This is not an area that you're going to probably want to study much in. I spend my life in it. And my wife reminds me of how weird I am. <laughs> the books on my nightstand, the books. My, my boss one time walked our bedroom. The only bathroom was through our bedroom. And she walks past our bed. And next on the nightstand is this book. And she tells the whole faculty, this is in Georgia. Yeah, I saw Dr. Gilbert's you know, bedtime reading. It was the science of orgasm. <laughs> Big, thick book too. Look, how can you write that much? A lot of research. Really boring. Um, that's that's my nighttime reading. There's different things that are out there that are published that I actually don't necessarily like. 
What does the research say? What does the data say? And then it's, if it's done well, it's gonna back up scripture. Like there's a study that says that if you come into marriage with a lot of sexual partners, you actually have a better sex life. Remember I heard that, I'm like, no, 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 it can't be. Second part of the study, for a little while. If you come into marriage with no experience, you learn together and you have a much healthier, for decades, sex life. I'm like, yes, the Bible, boom. I love that. New book I'm reading right now is from, um, um, oh gosh, what's her name? Nancy Piercy, A Toxic Masculinity. Ooh, so good. I'm only on chapter three and I feel like I've got my fire hose of just research showing that, you know who the most toxic men are in our culture? Nominal Christian men. They heard this word submission and they're going to take it too far. But they're not truly living. Who are the healthy, healthy, healthiest? Like, by leaps and bounds, a man who goes to church three or more times a month and is active in his church and active in his family is the healthiest. And all these feminists and all these researchers going, wait a minute, that defies my picture of Christians are all toxic. It's kind of fun. I love it. The research makes people question. We need a, need a theology of sex. The idea of the brain and sex, the brain and love. There's such really cool research from Dr. Amen and others on that that actually gets exciting to see. Um, one of my favorite was Dr. Amen's research showing that regular sex and regular orgasm is actually better for your immune system than even the flu shot. So forget the flu shot. <laughs> Except I'm teaching this to a bunch of college students. I go, sorry, you guys. You know, they go, I'm married, so someday. Give it to you. So why does this matter for us? Either you do or someone else does. A few years ago, I think it's four years ago, um, California declared that all kindergartners had to teach all 15 genders. And I remember going... Facebook is in California, and online there's 94 genders, so they need to talk, because I don't know why they got 15 from. But parents were freaking out. No, they can't be talking about that to my kindergartner. But then I hear this from the parents. Well, I can't tell them about. So it's not okay for you. They're too young for you to, but they're okay. it's okay for them to go to school and learn this insanity. We must be first. And I'm actually, I'm adamant. Most of us will say, my kid's too young. When your kid is introduced to penis, ain't, uh, penis, vagina, sex, intercourse, what is that? And they're like, they don't even know what they mean. They run off and play with their Legos. They don't have a place to put it. It's just kind of like floating around back there until they have somewhere to hang it. So if it's too early, it doesn't really do that much. Are there certain kids that are a lot more impressionable or like my little guy will go tell everyone anything <laughs> you say? Yes, and you have to be cognizant of that. But am I, in my, my book, the first kind of thing I'm talking to parents about is we need to be ahead of the game with this stuff. Talking to our kids, addressing these things. My human sexuality class, I've been researching the class asking them the same set of questions for 19 years. 
and I've had students do research with it. It's been neat to see, they're seeing a pattern that parents say, but I've told my kids that they're safe and that they can come to me, that we're safe, and that we're always willing to answer any questions that you want. And then I hear the kids say, I wish I could have talked to my parents, but instead I go to my friends and Google and porn. Like, what's the disconnect? We're putting the weight of who comes to who on the kid. No. I ask my sons about masturbation probably once a month or more often. When they were younger, they actually answered me. It was interesting conversations. But what am I doing? I'm moving him out of the unconscious and I'm moving into the conscious and here they have to take the thoughts captive. They are, they are to steward that. And when we talk about it, it changes everything. That it matters what you're thinking, and it matters that that person you saw, what you're doing in your head, in your heart, and your behavior. It's a constant reminder. Why? Because a lot of these actions, like masturbation, is an unconscious just habit. It's done without really thinking. But if you're careful, it can turn into an obsession. But for many, it's just an unconscious habit. So it's not about shaming, it's about educating. Of course you want to look at porn. What, what's, what does it say about you? Your wiring, how you're made, what you're drawn to. It says you're probably okay. Stewardship, boundary. Why a boundary? Why no? Because to me, what you're attracted to, if you will, tells you something about yourself. doesn't mean it's actually true. Which is interesting when you get into the homosexuality and trans conversation. Is It's all about attraction. And I'm like... Bad data. Who I'm attracted to does not tell me enough about myself. So even if it's same sex or if it's heterosexual or if it's asexual, nothing, nobody. Okay. That actually tells me a lot about more of your hormone levels. <laughs> it doesn't. Men, if you're not thinking of sex often, you have low testosterone. That's what that means. That's all. And if it gets too low, there's actually a health problems. So imagine that when it comes to them, let's stop puberty and let's turn you into a girl and the body goes, whoa! Because it's not, that's not how it works. It actually does serious, lifelong, life-altering damage. Because your testosterone levels are meant to stay in a healthy range for life. And women, estrogen levels, small amount of testosterone. And all these things are a delicate balance. It's actually interesting. It's kind of a fun thing to look about and study um, and get to know. So let me go into um, age-appropriate conversations. I'll give you just an outline of what I think is important. Birth to five. Let's start there. Now, when we think of the talk, where do we go? What age? <clears throat> I wish. Five. No. Hmm? Five. No, when we say the talk, when do we say, what does it tend to mean? Not usually five. I wish. Ten to twelve. I wish it was ten to twelve even. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're almost like, we'll talk to them when they're fifteen or sixteen and ready to date. Which means you're probably going to sit down and go, oh, I've got a lot to learn from you. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to teach you a lot about the world that you did not know. know. <laughs> Birth to five, this age is critical for the development. 
So we start here with basic anatomy. At one point, my daughter stood up and she was like, my bottom hurts, and she grabs her front. It's like, what are you talking about? That is not your bottom. She's like, and my wife goes, I didn't know what to call it. <laughs> it's called a vulva. It's not a sexy word, but that's what it's called. Use the term. It's not a vagina, that's inside. The words matter. Why? Because when there's problems, it gives them vocabulary to communicate when there's problems. Especially when there's harm. Especially when there's someone crossed the line. And I want to give them the language to say, hey, something happened. When fear tends to set in, shame sets in, Satan starts having a, a heyday. I want to give them the language. She also stood up one day and goes, when am I going to get a penis? You're not. <laughs> Boys are different. You're made different. These are moments, little micro moments. And I almost think of if they're one, the conversations are really short. Two, just a little longer. Three, like, they're just little tiny, tiny, tiny conversations. This is also correct body parts. We need to use the correct body parts. We're, we often, most of us, were trained with calling things pee-pee-wee-wee and whatever else. And no, just start with the normalizing those and it actually becomes... Um, again, normal in the family, which helps again. That's the big one, harm. When we would come home from, in, in Georgia we had a lot of babysitters. When we would come home from a date, I would ask my kid at two and three and four, did, did they change your diaper, did they do this, did they do that? I was not looking for them to tell me the truth. I was doing it consistently every time. And I would tell my students in class that I was doing this, so they weren't clueless. But I was asking them consistently, looking for them to pause. If they paused in their answer, they changed the way they answered, that told me something happened and we got to dig deeper. And I'm looking for truth. Why? Because shame shuts me down. Shame shuts me up. But if I'm consistent, I have, a, I have a measuring stick where I can know what I'm dealing with, if you will. Be sure not to stereotype what is boy or girl, but emphasize that they are a boy or girl. It seems ridiculous to some of us. It's not. We need to be able to actually almost decouple some of these things that we, we have categorized as boy and girl um, almost to an unhealthy degree, if you will. Because of the culture and world and the invitation being offered over here, Hey, I can fix that through surgeries and hormones, which is another whole mess. And that they're loved by God and their family. So we're starting the conversation here, birth to five. We're giving them that, that intro into understanding that their bodies, understanding the differences, understanding mom and dad. Um, yeah, this one, next one. Recognize that brothers and sisters, parents, friends, bodies are different. They're getting a, a kind of a lay of the land. And what is their world, birth to five? Usually it's home. You know, daycare or home and church, nursery or something. It's not very big. Begin teaching about appropriate touch. This starts now. Not when they're older. Now, birth to five. What is appropriate touch? What are the boundaries? Really, really important. This stage is marked by curiosity and exploration. 
Now, one of the ways that we did this in our house, for us, was these books right here. They were mixed in with our kids' books. Um, and by the way, the QR code that's on here goes to the last two presentations I've done, conferences, one last week, and then this will be there, so you can download it. But um, Good Pictures, Bad Pictures is an amazing book. It was mixed in there with the kids' books. It would sometimes come out because they picked it out, or they would ask a question, and we would go pull it off the shelf and talk about it. Um, one thing I love about that Good Pictures, Bad Pictures, so I'll be talking about porn, it talks about your brain. And my son one day was outside, I can't remember what age he was, seven or eight, and he's standing in front of the house and he's looking across the street and I could see this look and he's like, I'm like, Blaze, what are you thinking? He goes, Dad, my feeling brain says I want to go across the street to the park and my thinking brain tells me I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> Here's your neuroscience degree, son. <laughs> you summed it up right there. It's that simple. That I've got these parts that are working against each other almost. I have sin that wants me to and I have holiness where I want to go or want to be. And then these other four, the covers we have are a lot prettier than those, the older versions. But um, really good just to basic concepts of gender and baby, how to make babies and all that kind of stuff. It's really a good start. This is, to me, the talk. If you were to actually put it into a space, it's actually even before 10. It's before double digits. But it's way more than that. This is where we are to outline almost all of what adolescence is going to be like. Which one of those big ones is dating even. It's helping them decide or know kind of where are the boundaries when it comes to that. What's our family ethos going to be? We give a more descriptive anatomy at this point. We're talking about the M word. And I've had to sit with little boys and little girls of, of single parents, moms and dads, where they didn't have one or the other, and help, help them understand that this is coming, this is going to be a part of, and that there can, can be a boundary here. Because for most boys and girls, it's something that's discovered alone, and they wonder what's wrong with them. Kind of like you hear with some young ladies when it comes to their period, they think they're going to die. Not if they've been prepped. Not if they've, and, and that's scary that it's happening um, still. Another big one is sexual identity. What is that? Gender identity actually is the term now. What is that? We start explaining the differences of culture and scripture and we're planting seeds in a fertile ground during this stage because it's not that fertile from us when they're adolescent sometimes. What about dignity and modesty? What are your boundaries around that? This is starting younger. My daughter, we got a bag full of clothes in the mail from a cousin, and in there was a little sports bra, and she's this you know, little six or seven or eight, I don't even know. And my wife asked a question, what's our rule gonna be? And I was like, those are underclothes. Not every family agrees with that, not every family lives like that, but for us it was, teaching younger versus having a battle later. But my, my parents were very tight on some of that stuff. What's the first thing my sister, my middle sister did when she got to college? Straight to Walmart, bought a bikini. Oh, you rebel. <laughs> <laughs> if that's how you know about her, okay. 
we're going to have those. We need to have those rules. Things established earlier. Pornography. We talk about it. It's there. Every kid's phone, every device, everything around you. You can. You can access it on almost every TV now. Every it's, it's ridiculous. Um, so then what? We've even used things like in school. A lot of the art artists that they research have done nudes. So it comes up, conversation point. Especially when they're like staring at it. <laughs> One of the things that we would do too, watching our kids to see where they're at, was there was a video game, uh, I think it was on the Xbox way back when, of um, motocross. And what's in the beginning of every race? A woman. A woman. <laughs> yes, a woman in like a midriff showing and Looks like a Barbie, like not even realistic sizes, whatever. And my boys are like, you ready to start the race? And all of a sudden, one day you're like, <laughs> okay, conversation. And I was watching their eyes for under months, kind of going, and what is it going to register? What's in front of them? Conversation. Use TV shows, use movies. I remember watching uh, The Voice, and two, a boy and a girl get up to sing together, but it wasn't a boy and a girl, it was two boys who wanted to transition. They were twins. And my, my little son's like, Whoa, stop! So we pause. Conversation. And then one little bit later, it was two gay men who were getting up there and singing together. And they were married, and they talked about their love story, and how they met, and their wedding, and pause. No. Conversation. Not just a conversation of biblical, yes or no, but then, okay, so what if they're standing in front of you? How do you love them? How do you engage? How do you, do you just tell them what you believe? Because that's one of my kids' way of doing things. It's like, no, it's a relationship. You're walking them to the cross, if you will. So you're teaching all this stuff by your actions, your behaviors. And I'm not someone saying that I'm doing this great. <laughs> like, the COVID world post that. I remember my wife kind of going, see some of the things your kids are saying? They're kind of what you said. The sarcasm and the way you handled some of the, the rules. I don't like rules very well. Like, I don't want a helmet law. I'm going to wear a helmet. Don't tell me to wear a helmet. Uh, other states don't have helmet laws. Um, so, yeah, I don't handle rules very well. Most of us don't, actually. We like rules as long as we're okay with them. Some of you, if you're hunters, you're not too excited about how restrictive those rules are. Yeah. But then they're really nice when it comes to look at driving in America in the lanes versus other, other countries where the lanes are all suggestions and stoplights are all suggestions and everything's a suggestion. Yeah. Rules are good. So these are what our kids need. But the other piece of that, especially this age, is that beginning to negotiate Maybe not even the word negotiate, but it's in conversation with them. As they enter adolescence, before that, you want to have this, if you can, because some you can't, but this ability to like co-author, what are the rules? What are the consequences? What are the boundaries? Because it changes, the, if they have buy-in, it changes everything. We had given my oldest a laptop at one point. It turned into a large iPod. Like all he used it for was music. And it's like, and I did not want what the other stuff he could access there, even though it was locked down. 
I just didn't want that. So I remember the next birthday, it was a negotiation. I take that and I give you this. And he, he took the bait, it was great. Um, but it's a relationship with them. Now again, not every kid's gonna do that. But to me, I would rather be more, more overt, here's the reason why, than try to play some game with a kid that's gonna try to outsmart me, and they probably will, and they're not dumb. We need to remember that. Um, things like periods, wet dreams, prep, talking to them about the normalization of that. Um, recently, my daughter, she has not started her period yet, and we were, and this started years ago, she's 13, she's kind of later, but we're standing in the, my, our, our bedroom, and my wife's in the bathroom, and what's mom doing? And Blaze is there, and I'm like, she's on her period, and here's what's happening, here's what's going on. Again, the more that that gets said, it's normal. We're prepping them for these things not to be shockers. What is gender? What about sexual reproduction? And then here's an interesting one, that the personality is set by age seven. What changes our personality post age seven? Trauma. Not something you want to be praying for for your kids. Which some of us, that's what we need to be praying for. Our kids are off, off the deep end. Our kids are lost. Our kids are a mess. We need to be praying for something to happen. Um, I run a support group at Salem First Baptist for families of LGBTQIA kids and um, family members. And it's heartbreaking. It's going to cry every week. Because they love them. But some of them have had chopped off body parts, hormones that have destroyed their body, like the, the repercussions are this side of heaven done, unalterable. It's, it's a mess. But the glory of if they profess Christ before they die, the new body, the new earth, the new head, uh, I, that's what I hold on to. You can do whatever you want to yourself. But even in the 11th hour, if you were to give your life to Christ, he says, come on in. I love that. I think that's beautiful. And we need to hang on to it. It's hard to. Boyfriend, girlfriend. Oh, I hate those two words. He says, my boyfriend. I'm like, ugh. <laughs> this is when you start talking about it. What are our, what's our family ethos? Ours is you can start dating when you're a junior or senior in college. When <laughs> 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 you can put a ring on it. When you can follow through that's not how it's gone. <laughs> My oldest, who's now 17, since he was about 10, we've been dealing with putting <laughs> him back. It's like, you can't, it's always someone who should be in my office, not someone who's dating. It's like, no, you're not, he's like his dad, trying to rescue. No, boundary. What's the rule, really? It's when we start getting close our, the natural next step is what? What's sex? And if we set an ethic around that, why don't, what are we even thinking about dating versus we have friends, lots of friends? It's a hard one because it's so counterculture and everything's about who's your, who's your person of the day or of the week. You know, it, it's so focused on that. That's hard. But planning, this is where that biblical model or biblical view of marriage 
If it's planted here, it makes adolescence very different. I don't want to play around. I don't want a term I heard just now recently, a body count. All these people I've had sex with that are kind of in my wake, because I don't ever leave them. That's what scripture says about what sex does. So we have actually, and I talked about this in my human sexuality class, but we have gotten things very out of order. We've, we've done a good job of talking about um, pleasure, The sex is about pleasure. Well, we couldn't do that before in years past. But we forgot that actually it's meant to make a baby. Praise God, it does it every time. We have a lot of babies. But it's meant to. Every time a penis goes into a vagina, it's meant to make a baby. Every time. Yet you tell that person who's been able to, able to have kids to have, and that's hard. My mom, who struggled to have kids, was furious when her daughter, who's had sex one time, ends up being a teen mom. This world does not make sense. But every time it's meant to. So if we start putting these things in the right order, it changes how we view that beautiful thing that's actually now utterly disposable. The idea of being a friend, trauma and abuse, and this stage is marked by experimentation and pushing boundaries at this point. Another key concept of this stage is that they are under authority. How they treat the police matters. How they respect firefighters matters. How they respect their teacher, their coach, you. To me, that's one of the biggest ones. Why? Look at our culture. Where people seem to not understand that concept of authority. It's just whatever I feel or want. Like I don't get the concept of breaking a window and going into a store and stealing stuff that I did not purchase is entitlement. Our pastor talked about it a few weeks ago. He actually said, I'm so sorry, but it's baby boomers that destroyed that. If you think of life before baby boomers, and he's one of those, he said, before that, our life expectancy was, you know, maybe 40s, and one in three babies died, and we've had a lot of neat advancements in technology and in health and healthcare that We've turned into a very entitled world. And how do we help instill in them that that's not how the world works? Well, part of it's also jobs. You know, my kids have all gotten jobs as soon as they could. Um, that's been fun to watch. When they start having their own money and then making, oh my gosh, the amount of my son makes like $17 an hour. I was like, I need $4.25 at McDonald's. Goodness gracious. Um, it's crazy. But then, this is a setup to age 11 to 17. We're not having those conversations anymore. Not like we did because we've prepped them. This is a different stage. This is my, my oldest, Alex, his Eagle Project a few weeks ago. And then my son plays with his luscious locks. He won't cut his hair. He likes girls touching it, he said. <laughs> oh, he's crazy. But this stage is where so much is going on. Identity. This is all about trying to figure out who I am. And then we put all this other pressure. Like, what do you want to be when you grow up? 
if that's the wrong question? And one of the ones that I know, I'm a college professor, I've been doing that for forever. It's like, what if the question is, where is God calling you? Because I love the stories of a person who's so talented in this area, and God says, that door. It's also really annoying when I was a music major in college. I deeply wanted to be in that field and in that area and be a music missionary. And these stupid business majors were better playing guitar and leading worship, and they were majoring in some other stuff. I wanted it so bad, and then they sat me down and said, you can't graduate because you don't have enough talent. My <laughs> world ended and began. I took a counseling class, and it's like a whole new world opened up. My father-in-law, who stutters like crazy, just had his 50th year of pastoral ministry and 50 years of marriage. Celebration in this past August. The last place he'd ever find himself. He went to college to do something behind the scenes at Hyde, and he's been up front for 50 years. Like, I love that. So, what if we're asking the wrong questions for our kids as to where they're even talented? Maybe that's not where they're supposed to go. I don't know. But we're helping them also see that they are fearfully and wonderfully made. That as a believer, that your body's a temple. What you do matters. And taking care of yourself is actually a good thing. And then that's where we also kind of need to go. Maybe we need to look at ourselves as well. On both ends of that spectrum. Maybe we're too obsessed. And that's a problem too. Maybe we need to perhaps we preach. That every other sin you commit is outside your body. But there's something about the sexual sins that's different. There's a dividing line in scripture about that. That when you harm someone, sexually harm someone, there's something much greater that happens than lying or cheating. That when you take someone that's not yours, and I mean yours, not your marriage partner, if you really have that boundary. One of the things that my, we've done is we've done Passport to Purity with our kids. You've not heard of that. Um, it's a really great program, Dennis Rainey, Dennis and Barbara Rainey. I've heard lots of mixed reviews of peers of mine who've gone through and didn't like it or it was harmful. And I've kind of done purity culture stuff. We have loved it. And we've, it's been neat conversation starters. And I wonder if that's the difference too, if you just listen to it and don't have conversations. But one of the things they propose in there is what if you saved kissing even for your wedding day? What if you didn't go there even? Because I've always struggled with that. There are prostitutes that will do everything but kiss. Kissing is intimate. Very intimate. Yet it seems to be the first thing we give away. We do, if you will. And if you think of what it's meant to do, it's meant to rev up my engines. I'm kissing and I'm more excited and why don't I just walk away? That's actually rude. <laughs> Very mean. <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of what we're teaching our teenagers. Kiss, make out, get all excited, and then go beat your head against the wall or something. Go for a run, cold shower. This is not a good setup. So in talking to them, if we're able to give them things to think about, this is going to influence what they're doing when they're not with us. When they're on that date, and they're like, no, I think I'll wait. I don't think I'm going to do that. 
because we're trying to influence what they're going to do outside of our presence. When they're around that corner, when they're on, when they're on the other side of the country, when they're on the other side of the world, whatever they're going or doing. And that you are not a mistake, not trapped in the wrong body, but have a unique personality. I mean, this is a really key word. If I am a male, but I have very effeminate directions or attractions or interests, what if we actually went back to calling that our personality? Not some mistake or some wrong body thing. If I'm a female, we actually had a term for that. If we had a female who was liked boy things, it was called a oh, boy. Not anymore. I'm going to jump you on that train and get you going into hormones as fast as we can. Which is utterly horrifying. Understand sexual reproduction. That's a big one. Refrain from sexual morality. Another one's who are your idols. This is the time to think about that. Who do you look up to? Who influences you? I know when I was growing up, it seemed to be always some singer or some actor. That needs to bother us. We need to help them see um, the, the fallacy, if you will, of that. We need to be careful with that, to guard ourselves from that. Um, dating, courting, further defined and boundaries. Again, pornography and the managing of social media. This is where, for a lot of us, we're going to say yes to social media for our kids. At some point here, before 17. I wonder. Big question mark there. Our family is in no way. And ironically, our boys have been like, I don't want it. Because they're watching their friends. Their friends can't be present, even sitting at a table to have a meal, without having to post about it. Or talk to someone else that's not even there. We've had a more of a struggle with, with texting. That's been a, that's more of a struggle. It's just constantly got to be in communication at all times. So how do you shut that down? Which most devices have that ability to, to set that. How are you treating others? What does the Bible say? Not mom and dad or social media. This is getting into apologetics and understanding <coughs> scripture even. Deepening their identity. Are you kind, respectful? What's your work work ethic? Do you understand what LGBTQIA2S plus means? <coughs> Most of us probably don't. Some of us don't care. It's like, ah, alphabet soup. No, these are real people that are hurting, first of all. And so how to have compassion, but then, so what do I do in conversation with someone who's struggling? I've had students come in my office who I've worked and worked and talked with about their attraction to someone and then they come in with, with the guy or girl that they're now with saying same gender and it's like, what are you doing here? They're trying to bait me. They want to fight. So it's like, how's the weather? We're not going to talk about anything other than because if we're not here to talk about growing then I've actually learned a few things about football right? I don't care about football but to have a conversation about that because you know, I want to go deep and <laughs> shrink. That's, that's where I want to go. But some people aren't ready for that. So it's, how's the weather? Hey, what's up with Trump lately? Just kidding. Don't go there. <laughs> Beware of decisions that can't be unmade. 
This is a really big one right now. And what's funny is the, the doctors are saying, oh, we can always rebuild and, you know, we chopped her breast off, double mastectomy, we can build new ones. Not the same, sorry. Yes, you can. It's not the same. And so Chloe Cole and others have been very vocal and so glad that they are about the, the loss of I will never breastfeed my kids if I'm even able to have kids, which many are going to find they can't. maintain integrity of your convictions and what God is saying. Thank you for tuning in to the Healing Lives with Corey Gilbert podcast. It has been an honor to serve. If you are struggling, have questions, or in need, Dr. Gilbert offers a free consultation for new clients. Check us out at healinglives.com to book a call. If this has been helpful to you, please share it, leave a review, and help us get the word out so that we can see lives changed, marriages transformed, and more people come into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. The Healing Life Center offers online courses, programs, books, intensives, and other services to help you live biblically and well. Discover more resources on YouTube and in Dr. Gilbert's Healing Marriage Facebook group, The Healing Marriage.